Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the final Sunday of our series titled Faith for Today. And since this is my last time to get to talk, I'm going to actually go on into the first couple of verses of chapter 12 to kind of finish this up in a way that makes sense. Good? Okay. Anybody remember our definition we've been using for faith this month? That's got, I heard it. Faith is trusting God completely no matter what. So faith isn't just trusting God. It's not even just trusting God completely. It is trusting God completely no matter what. That no matter what part is very important. Many times in our life as Christians, we are willing to trust God completely up to a certain point. And then we take over because we don't trust him no matter what. We trust him completely unless it means a risk of some sort that we are not willing to take. I trust him completely until it means the possible loss of something I'm not willing to lose. And then I try to manipulate things in order to make it happen the way I feel best. All right, if we're honest, we've all done that before. So we are looking at living lives of faith that means trusting God completely no matter what. This faith chapter that we've been reading through is very helpful um, as we're seeking to trust him completely no matter what in our individual lives, in our families, in our homes, and in our church as, as a whole. Do you believe that God will bless Heritage Community Church if we are faithful people? Absolutely, absolutely. So if we're going to be a part of a church family and we want the blessings of God for our church family, then, then being faithful people, trusting him completely no matter what, is very important for our church body. Okay, just as it is in your individual homes and in individual hearts. Most people, they live their lives by sight, right? By sight. Hebrews 11 is talking about trusting in things that you haven't seen yet, things that are future. We keep talking about this theme throughout this chapter, future hope, future hope, things yet seen, things that are unseen, things that are invisible, things that haven't happened yet. They're in the future. But most people live the opposite of that. They only trust in things they can see, things that they can explain, or things that they can understand. You know, they, they go about and, and they make their list, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, pros and cons. They do all the data and, and ask for help in different areas. And we as Christians, a lot of times, are no different. We make decisions based off um, risk versus profit, things like that, and, and things that we can understand and that we can explain, things that we can read about. And there's, let me say, I see a lot of people going, well, wait a minute, because there's nothing wrong with doing due diligence before making a big decision, okay? So don't hear me say, you know, just never read or, or try to understand anything. You should do your due diligence before you make a decision. The difference is, as a Christian, the priority has to be God's will. So no, no matter where you are in your decision-making process, if you look and in your human mind, the pros list is very short and the cons list is long, but you hear God say, this is what I want you to do, guess what? You do that anyway, even if it doesn't make sense to those around you, okay? So that kind of faith causes us to do some very strange things sometimes, things that our relatives, our neighbors, our coworkers, our our friends, they may not truly understand that. Have you ever done something to follow God's will and people around you said, I don't know, that's a good, a good idea. I have. You have. When you live by faith, that's kind of part of the deal. 
I mean, think about the people that we've been reading about over the last month. You think anyone thought, hey, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. With Moses, remember when we talked about what his pros and cons list would have looked like? I mean, come on. My friend James Teeley, he's a songwriter. One of his favorite songs of mine that he has written is called His Glory, My Reward. And it's about, uh, he, he has some, some lyrics from a journal from a missionary who gave their life for Christ in South America, okay, uh, back in, uh, a few decades ago. And, and from his journal, my friend James took some of his words and made it into a song. And this is what he says. It says, his glory is my reward, future hope. God's glory is the only thing worth living for. To obey is my objective. My suffering is expected. That, that line is kind of hard for us sometimes. My life is the Lord's, his glory, my reward. Listen to this part of it. He says, for him I will care more than seems wise. When everyone else around me says, you probably shouldn't care so much, you probably shouldn't do so much for someone who might step on you, For him I will care more than seems wise, and I will risk more than some would advise, and I will dream what seems impossible, for all things are possible with God. Amen? That kind of life is the kind of life of someone who had true faith, that trusted God completely no matter what. That they said, I will risk, I will care, I will do things that seem crazy to the world around me so that I can follow God's will because I'm looking forward to a future hope with him, a home that he's already built in heaven for me. My reward is not here on this earth. So there is no list of pros I can make, humanly speaking, that would be worth giving up God's will for what I will receive one day when I see him. Do you believe that? Do you live that way? Sometimes we believe that in our minds, but there's a gap between what we believe in our minds and what we actually live out with our hearts and we have to begin to close that gap. We talked about that last week. That's called sanctification. When what I know in my mind begins to match what I believe in my heart, I become a more uh, godly-like person, a more holy person, a true follower of Jesus. When I don't just know a lot of things, but I live those things out, okay? So, last week we learned that faith means saying no to the world. We following Moses' example, we learned that we were going to say no to what? Privilege, pleasure, Treasure and fear. But I want you to know that living a life of faith is not just about going around saying no. It also means saying yes. When God calls us, we have to be willing to say yes. We need faith to say no to the world, but we also need faith to say yes to God. So look with us. We're at verse 28. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28. By faith he, we're still talking about Moses, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." Here's what I want you to know today is four things that when you say yes to God, he will protect you. When you say yes to God, he will remove obstacles that stand in your way. When you say yes to God, he will give you victory over impossible situations. And when you say yes to God, he will transform your life. 
Can anyone give testimony to any of those things? You've ever said yes to God and he did something impossible for you that you thought there was no way it could happen? Have you said yes to God and have him transform your life, become a different person completely? Sometimes we had talked in the past about what would it be like if we went home to Dallas and we planted a church? Because I don't know if you know, in 1999, God told me in the middle of the summer, a very hot time in New York for some reason, and I was in a home that had no air because they usually don't need air. He told me that I should do two things, and I should marry Brooke and that I should uh, plant a church one day. That happened, and then like nothing with the church thing for eight years. You know, I worked in churches that were 100 years old. And I thought, well, I must have misheard. And then what happened? 2007, this guy, Sidney Brock, calls and says, I think God wants us to plant a church. I said, I'm in because I've been waiting for that call for eight years. Easy enough. <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> Say yes to God. He protects you. He removes the obstacles. Remember five years into planting heritage, for those of you who were here, and we were saying, man, what are we going to do? Because the cafeteria is full and we don't really have money set aside to go spend $2 million on a building. And we've been preaching, you know, we're not going to do the debt thing. We're not going to go borrow a few million dollars to build a building. Did God do the impossible? Okay. So we begin to think about all these things that are examples for us. It should encourage us to live these lives of faith. Look at verse 28. This is the last verse from this chapter talking about Moses there. These two, these two stories. By faith, the people, I mean, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, you remember the story. Moses had repeatedly asked Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh continued to refuse. Even after nine plagues, all kinds of darkness and locusts and frogs and bad things, still Pharaoh would not allow the Hebrew slaves to leave because they were slaves. They were a lot of them. The Bible says over 600,000 crossed the Red Sea, okay? So why, as a leader of a country, am I just going to let all my good slaves walk out the door? I mean, even if you make me a little uncomfortable. Moses says, okay, fine. I'm not going to come see you again, but, but before I leave, I want to tell you about the last plague. And then Moses explained to Pharaoh what would happen that very night, that at midnight the Lord was going to come and send death upon the nation, that in every single household the firstborn son would die. Every single home from Pharaoh down to the, to the weakest slave, even the animals, did you know that? Even the animals would experience the same thing. The firstborn son would instantly die at midnight. And after that, Moses told Pharaoh, you're going to let our people go. Moses left. He went back to the Israelites and said, okay, here's the thing. This is what God has told me. This is going to happen tonight. However, if you go out and get a lamb and you sacrifice that lamb and you take the blood of the sacrificed lamb and you put it on your doorpost on the top and the sides, when the, the angel of death comes tonight, he will pass over your household and you will be saved. Every Israelite immediately obeyed. Okay, but what's really neat about the verse, if you go back to Exodus and, or, or the end there and you read uh, what, what he says, he says, they, they all obeyed, but it wasn't because they were just necessarily scared of what Moses said. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord. They were doing this out of faithful obedience of a God that they worshiped and trusted, even after being in slavery for four centuries. At midnight, the Israelites began to hear this awful noise. 
screaming, yelling, weeping. Every household there, the firstborn son had died immediately, but not in their homes. Because they had had their homes covered with the blood of the lamb. Amen. God told Moses what to do, and Moses and the Israelites, they did it. The Israelites said yes to God, and as a result, God protected them. When you say yes to God, God will protect you. Look at verse 29. By faith, the people then crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. After this tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally gave permission to let them all go. And they left. Over 600,000 600, men, plus women and children, plus all the livestock and all the things, and they left. And as they followed the Lord's directions on where to go, they went through the desert and came upon the Red Sea. Meanwhile, back at the palace, guess who changed his mind? Pharaoh. You know what? I would now I'm just mad. I want them back as slaves. And he sends an army after them. So the Israelites find themselves in a very difficult situation. The Red Sea in front of them, massive, impossible for them all to cross. Behind them was the, the entire Egyptian army coming after them. What were they going to do? God told them what to do. Again, he told Moses to raise his staff and to stretch it out over the water and the Red Sea would divide so the Israelites could walk right through it as on dry land. That's what God said and then that's what Moses did. Sure enough, the water split right in two with a huge wall on the left and on the right and the people walked through it on the ground. Seeing that the water had divided and the Israelites were going, the Egyptian army, they followed, which is They just thought, well, okay, here we go then. They didn't think, hey, why is this happening? Never seen that before. They just thought, this is interesting. Let's go after them. And what happened? The moment the last Israelite made it to the other side, God shut that wall down, and the entire Egyptian army was drowned in the water. God told the Israelites what to do, and they did it. They said yes to God. And as a result, God removed the obstacles that stood in their way. Has God ever done that for you? Have you ever had an obstacle that seemed in your human mind after you made your pros and cons that there was no way for you to get over that obstacle? Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Sometimes we make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision until we put an obstacle in front of ourselves that is impossible to cross. And we need someone to help us get over that. Sometimes bad things happen in life for no other reason because we live on earth and it's a sinful, dark, bad place. And sometimes there's an obstacle in front of us that seems impossible to cross, not because of something bad that we've done, because bad things just happen. Sometimes you go to the doctor for a normal visit and the, and the report is something awful, a terrible obstacle that you cannot cross on your own. Sometimes you make bad decision after bad decision with finances until you turn around and you're, and you're, you're Tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And you say, look at this obstacle I put in front of myself. How will I ever cross it? But when you say yes to God and begin to follow his will, you say yes, 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 yes. Through the entire journey, he begins to remove all those obstacles out of your way. Amen? Look at the next verse, verse 30. One of our favorite ever verses if you ever grew up going to Sunday school, right? 
One of the best stories of all time. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Forty years after the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites were finally entering the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Yes, who had succeeded Moses. The first assignment was to take the city of Jericho. It was a large city with many people in it, surrounded by a great wall that could not be penetrated. But God told Joshua that they were to take that city. So Joshua asked God, okay, how? Isn't it interesting that, it's okay, people of faith, they begin to learn this dialogue with God. They start to hear God say, okay, I want you to do this. And they go, okay, how? What next? And, 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 you, and it's this dialogue. God doesn't always say, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you, and you go to your, your chair for your quiet time, God doesn't, God doesn't lay out his entire plan for you for the next two years and say every step of the way, this is what I want you to do. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, it's never worked that way for me. So he, what he does is he starts to say, hey, hey, Brian, I want you to, I want you to think about doing this. And, and, and it starts to stirring in your heart. And then you, you start to get to where you're asking God to make you faithful to say yes. And then you say, okay, God, I'm starting to be faithful. I want to do that. Yes, okay, now what? Okay, the the first step of that is to do this. So Moses had gotten them out this far. Joshua's taken over, and they're saying, okay, I believe you. Well, here we go. I mean, you look at all the things you've done to this point. And then he says, okay, now go take this huge city. And they go, okay. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying how. And so this, this conversation begins to happen with faithful people in God. So God says this. I love this. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Future hope. Because had it already happened? God said, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I've already done it. Here's what you got to do. March around the city once a day for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Then have the priests sound a long blast on the trumpets and have all the people give a loud shout. And when they do that, the wall of the city will collapse so you can go straight in and conquer the people. So Joshua assembled all his people, and they marched around Jericho one time, and they returned to camp, and they settled down for the night. Then the next day, they did the same thing, marched around the city. They continued to do that for six days, and on the seventh day, they marched around the city one time, two times, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times. Then the priest sounded this loud trumpet, The people all started screaming and shouting. I'm guessing that they didn't feel weird about doing that. (laughs) And then you think like the first guy that was really bold, he started doing it. Everybody was like, okay, here we go. We're really doing this (laughs) because the people in the city are looking at us and, you know, they're, okay. And then they all start yelling and screaming. And what happened? The walls of Jericho came Tumbling down. You remember that? Okay. The Israelites charged the city, killed everybody, took it over, burned it to the ground just as God told them to do. God told the Israelites what to do, and they did it. They said yes to God, and as a result, God gave them victory over an impossible situation. Impossible. Even the way they took it over didn't make sense. You know, I mean, what is blowing a trumpet and yelling and screaming and marching due to a wall? Nothing. Nothing. But God said something, and they said, you know what? Who else are we going to trust than the one who has taken us this far? I trust in him. 
Verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Before Joshua led this battle of Jericho, he had sent spies into the city to check things out, okay? God had told him to take over the city. He said, well, let's, let's figure out what we're actually getting into here. The spies stayed in the house of a woman named Rahab. She was a prostitute. And when the authorities came looking for the spies, they must have gone through the town. They must have heard the spies are here. And they started knocking on everyone's door trying to find them. What did she do? She hid them on top of her roof and went down and told them that they had already left. She said, hurry, you might be able to catch them. And they ran away and trying to look for these people that she was hiding on her roof. Now, after the authorities had left, Rahab went up onto the roof and she says this to the spies. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Future hope, because that had happened yet, future hope. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Rahab the sinner, we are all melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord brought you through the Red Sea. We've heard how you have already defeated two kings east of the Jordan. We are afraid, not just because of you, but because the Lord has sent you. The Lord you serve is the God of heaven above and earth below. Is that a testimony? I mean, my goodness, we're not even talking about one of God's people, the Israelites, at this point in time. But she believed. Look what happens. Then Rahab asked the spies to promise that they would show her kindness to her and her family because she had shown kindness to them by hiding them on the roof. They promised that they would, and then Rahab helped them escape Jericho and get back over the city wall. Well, later, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, they all rushed in, and they're, they're take, capturing this whole city and burning the whole thing down. What does Joshua say? He says, go to Rahab's house, bring her out and all her family just as we promised her. They brought them out, put them in a safe place in their camp, and she lived the rest of their life, her life with the Israelites and her family. Did you know that's not the end of the story of Rahab? Did you know? Rahab was no longer a prostitute. Did you know that she married an Israelite? Do you know that her and her husband had a child? Anybody know what his name is? Boaz. Boaz. Did you know he was the great-grandfather of King David? Rahab the prostitute, her line is King David. Her line is Jesus Christ. Look it up in Matthew 1. Her name's there in the genealogy of Jesus. God told Rahab what to do, and she did it. She said yes to God. You have to believe that he had told her to do that, because how else would she have had the faith to believe what she said she believed? Not being a person of God, not being a person uh, who was following him, not being a person who had been promised with Abraham's family to have all these things. How else would she have known? God told Rahab what to do and she did it. And because she said yes to God, God transformed her life. God uses us even when we are the most awful people you can imagine. Do you remember your old self? Oh, yeah, the point of my story earlier that I didn't finish, when we, we talk about planting a church sometimes, when before we had planted heritage, we thought, what it would it be like to go back to Dallas and plant a church? Would they even believe who I was? Man, when I left Dallas, I was 25. 
I am a completely different person than I was 15, 20 years ago. Completely. If I were to go back in, they wouldn't believe who I was. Because God takes you when you finally say yes to him, and he, and he begins to change you. He molds you. Anyone believe they're a different person because of Jesus? You're not different. If you're a Christian, you're not different because you decided to be better. You're not different because you read some sort of self-help book. You're better because the Holy Spirit came in you and began to, to, to make you different. It transforms you. I mean, you're a different person completely. The things that used to be really important to me don't matter at all anymore. And the things that I used to think were not even a little bit important, they're like, that's what I focus on. God has transformed me into a completely different person, and that happens when you say yes to him. I want you to know you got to say yes to God to be a truly faithful person, and he will transform your life. Now, just like I'm going to, the writer of Hebrews, he realizes he can't go on forever about every single person individually, so he starts to speed up. So look at verse 32. We're going to speed up. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, however, were tortured, refusing to accept release, even though they were promised they would be released if they would just deny God, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, what? did not even receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This kind of faith we've been talking about in Hebrews 11, this, this true faith, it'll do a few things for you. Here's three things. It will inspire heroism. Faith is often on the offensive. Having the faith to say yes to God allow people to cope with, with wild beasts and raging fires and aggressive warriors. Faith inspired them to live in incredibly heroic ways. They didn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I feel like fighting a giant today. No, no, that didn't happen. Man, they had faith. It inspired them to be that way. Faith encouraged fortitude. Many of these heroes were given faith to deal with torture. Some of these things, these stories, it, it ended up good, right? Some of them did not. They, they experienced torture and mockery and death. The world despised them, but I love that when it says the world was not worthy of them because they were living by faith in a God that the world had rejected. They were living by faith in a God that the world had rejected. So the Bible here says that the world was not worthy of them. They were offered release from their situation if they would just deny God, turn away from him, but they knew that present liberty was a passing worth, and that the future hope they had in the better country was of eternal value because it had been prepared by a God who is always faithful. True faith also awaited fulfillment. Rich as it was, their faith was confined to the limits of the old covenant. They did not know Jesus yet, but yet somehow they were looking forward to something better. 
This whole month, have you realized that these people who are looking forward to something better are from the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, these, these people, they didn't have Jesus, yet somehow they had faith in something that was better. Future hope, they were anticipating the fulfillment of God's promise to them, which was revealed in Jesus, but they never witnessed it. True faith awaits fulfillment. When you hear God promise you something, then you wait for it, even if you never see it in this lifetime, because God does not break promises. Hebrews 11 ends like that. And yet we can't stop because the very first word of chapter 12 is what? Therefore. So I can't talk for a whole month and not go to the next sentence that says therefore. So all the stuff we've said all month, therefore, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's talking about all these heroes that we've been studying in chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Two things that will hinder us or impede the progress of our faith. This is important because if you leave here after this month thinking that, man, I'm pumped, I'm gonna be faithful from here on, you might get tripped up along the way. It might even be this afternoon. So two things you need to look out for. What will impede our progress? Wait. Wait. He says, let us also lay aside every weight. What's he talking about? Things that are weighing you down. Unnecessary burdens, financial debt, concern about what other people around you think about you instead of what God who created you thinks about you. This unnecessary weight that we carry around, that will, that will impede your progress in your faith. Because every time you get ready to say yes to God out of faith, something will hold you back. Does that make sense? You, you, you'll be nervous or scared of something, afraid to take the risk that it takes to say yes to God. Because it's something that keeps holding you back. The number two thing is this, sin. He says, and these may be the same thing, I don't know, but I made them too. Sin, because here's the deal. He says, the sin which clings so closely, and look what he says. He says, let us run with endurance the race that I said before us. He's thinking about a runner running a race. Can you imagine going out to run a marathon? Okay, Scott is my my. my my Ironman guy, my marathon runner. Can you imagine running a marathon in skinny jeans and a shirt and tie and a jacket? That would make no sense. Clothes that are clinging so tight that you can't move. A runner wears very specific things that he can feel comfortable in and run for a long time and quickly. Sin is like that, man. It sticks to you. The devil reminds you of it. Every time you think you've put it away, then something triggers your mind and all of a sudden you're back into that sin. It clings to you like tight clothing in a race. Throw it away, he says. Put it aside. Lay it down. Later on in the New Testament, Paul's talking to these new Christians. He says, stop. Stop with all the, 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 the childish sin stuff. Let's get past that stuff. Just lay it down and begin to live in a faithful, godly, holy way. You're never going to be made perfect here on earth, but some of this stuff you've been holding on to, it's just like, let it go. It's, it's entangling you. It's impeding the progress of your faith. You can't become a faithful person. You say, well, I don't feel faith. I better ask for faith. God, Brian said to ask God for faith because it's a gift, but then I ask for faith, but then I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. It's like two steps forward, one step back. I can't, I can't. You got to lay down the sin. 
you got to allow God to transform your life. It doesn't usually happen overnight. When you got that one thing, that stronghold that's always on your mind, you can't let it go no matter what it is. It, it doesn't happen overnight, but slowly over time, when you keep going to the well of forgiveness, God cleanses you again, and you move forward in faith, and then you go back to the well of forgiveness again, and he cleans you again, and you move forward in faith, and you move forward in faith, and it's a little less tempting and a little less tempting, and you wake up 10 years down the road, and you go, well, you know what? I don't even struggle with that anymore. And it's not because I had some sort of 10-step plan of how to get rid of my sin. It's not because I worked so hard and I have all of this goodness in me that I was able to push it out. No, it's because over that time, God made me a new person. Remember when I said earlier, things that were important to me are no longer important, and things that were not important are very important? It's not because I just decided to make those things important. It's because I'm a different person. I mean, when you become a father, you become someone that before you were not a father, now you become a father, babies weren't that important to you. And now all of a sudden, babies are really important to you because you're a different person. Same way, when we say yes to God, he transforms our life, makes us a new person. And the sin that so easily entangles us, we can lay it down. Did you know that? You can lay sin down. So if you are here today and you feel burdened and chained and trapped into sin and it is entangling you, begin to ask God for enough faith to lay it down. Verse 2, how do we go about it? Who do we look at? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, future hope, because was he already back in heaven by God's side at this time? No, this is before the cross. So for the joy that was set before him, even Jesus had the future hope knowing what was happening. He endured the cross despising the shame and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was ultimately faithful by being obedient to the Father even unto death on a cross. What an example for us. I mean, Jesus was faithful just like all the other people we've been talking about. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, all these guys, Joshua, Rahab, the Israelite people. Jesus was faithful also. He had faith. He listened to what God said. God said, go down there, live perfectly, give up your life in an awful, awful death, and then come back up here. Jesus listened to what God said, and he did it. What an example for us. So here's the deal as we close out this series. In these stories we've heard, there are all kinds of reasons to say to say no to God and not say yes to him. And, and as Christians even, a lot of times we hear God saying, I want you to do this, and we find all kinds of reasons in our minds to not say yes. It's not time. Ah, it's not a good season in my life. I'm not really prepared for that. Oh, you would be better to use someone else. I'm not really gifted in that way. I'm really busy right now. My kids, my parents, blah, 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 blah. We have all these excuses. But when we say, when we don't say yes to God, we say no to God. But I want you to remember those four things. When you say yes to God, he will protect you. So get that fear out of your head. Even if it means protecting you and allowing you to die so that you will be with him face to face in heaven. When you say yes to God, he will remove obstacles that stand in your way. Man, just test him on that. See what he does. 
When you say yes to God, he will give you victory over impossible situations. And when you say yes to God, he will transform your life. That is the greatest thing. That's the greatest promise to me. That when I said yes to God, not only did he allow me to have eternal life with him, but he began to make me a new person now. I didn't have to live the rest of my life as as the person that I was as a 15-year-old teenager. Trust me, that would have been awful. If I had to live like that the rest of my life till I got heaven, I mean, come on. But no, God began to transform my life at that moment. And over time, he's made me into a new person, even before I die and go to heaven. So if you're sitting here today, through all of our time this month and through our time in worship, and you, and you have a river that you cannot cross, or you have a mountain that you cannot tunnel through, or you, I want you to know that you are... You are believing in a God because you're here this morning. So I'm assuming you're trying your best to believe in a God. I want you to know you are believing in a God who does the impossible. Period. And, and the same God that, that did all these things in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the exact same God that's, that's creating the heaven and going to bring a new heaven, a new earth, that Jesus is going to come back one day. It's impossible to believe in the stories of the Old Testament and not truly believe that Jesus is going to save you one day and make all things new and right again in him. It's impossible to believe in heaven and not believe in all these stories of the past that God's done. It's the same God. So faith is about believing in what God has done, but also having the future hope in what God is going to do. And he can do what no other power in the world can do. That's the God that we believe in, Jesus Christ. Like that song said earlier, what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. As we, as we finish up today and we pray, I want us to leave with, with asking God, God, fill us up with faith. Make us people who do crazy, risky things that make no sense to those around us for the kingdom of God. Help us to hear your voice so that we can say yes to you quickly and that you can give us the faith to follow each step along the way. Give us the faith to say no to those things that are in our way. Give us the faith to lay down the sin that entangles us or the weight, the, the things that are just we're holding on to that are just burdensome. Give me faith to say no to pleasure and treasure and the things of this world that, that are vying so hard for my attention every day, all day long. Give me faith to say no to that and say yes to you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so, so, so grateful for your word, that you have given that word to us, that it's active and living, that it changes us and transforms us because we know the word of God. Jesus, the word of God is power. Through your word, you created all that there is. Through your word, you do mighty things, and we thank you for it. Give us faith today, Father. We know that we can't just uh, want it for ourselves and, 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 and somehow build it up inside of ourselves, but we have to ask for that faith and that you are, are hoping that we will because you're so excited to give it to us freely. Make us people of faith so that the people in the world around us will say, look, there's something different about them. They make things, they make decisions and choices that don't make sense. They risk more than I would risk. They care more than I would care. Give us faith in our homes. Give us enough faith to love our spouses even when they let us down. Give us faith to, to, to parent our children and, and, and share with them the gospel of Jesus and not allow the world to, to try to tell them what their gospel is. Give us faith to do all these things. Help us to hear your voice loud and clear, Father. And I pray that when we do, we would be obedient because we know you'll protect us. We know you'll remove obstacles. We know you give us victory and we know you will transform our lives. Thank you for those promises. 
In Jesus' name we pray. We love you. Amen.